Envision the situation. You walk up front, you go to greet your patient, and it's Bob. Bob, come on back. Doesn't move very quickly, gets up, he has that look. You know it's gonna be one of those patients, it's gonna be an adventure. You walk back with Bob, trying to make conversation. How's it going, how you doing today? Welcome. Not getting anywhere. Bob sits down, deadpan in your face. I don't know how you're gonna help me. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back, everyone, to the Therapists in Motion podcast series. I want to say thank you again to Greg Johnson and Ryan Johnson for joining us tonight. Hopefully, you guys caught the first podcast of the series. If not, check it out. And tonight, we're talking about Bob. So again, what's Bob been for? Well, Bob can be in for a whole host of things. That's what I want to discuss is that, you know, we think of physical therapy and patients often have no clue the education that individuals go through and how many things can truly be addressed. And it really is impressive within the human body how many things physical therapy can touch and can make an impact on in individuals' lives. And tonight I want to take a moment just to discuss some of the more unique comp- uh, cases, unique diagnoses, and unique things that have come across people's doors and let you know that, hey, there's a lot of education information out there. You can go find a quite an interesting population and niche if you're looking for one. So I know one of the bigger pushes currently has been women's health and men's health as well. Uh, in fact, even some research articles having some pretty cool results with people who have failed uh, with fertility assistance and then able to receive different mobilizations, different treatments that are able to free up all kinds of systems within the body and let things move and function the way that they were originally designed to do that then have life-altering changes for these people where they can do what they want, such as have a family or, or move forward with whatever their goal is. So Greg, I'm just going to throw one at you real quick. What might be one of the more unique patients that have walked through your doors outside the typical knee pain, hip pain, shoulder pain that you've seen in your time? Oh, there are just so many of them uh, that, uh, truthfully, Paul, I, I would be hard to pull one out. But since I always tend to have a new focus that seems to have what the patients are coming in, and so I'm going to head towards that new focus right now. And that is uh, probably all began with sleep apnea. Uh, again, seeing the downsides of patients who were suffering with it. Uh, believing that there was something I could do to help. Meeting uh, a very instrumental dentist in, in my life, uh, Michael Gelb who uh, works with this population. And then just starting to see how much of the sleep apnea had to do with mechanical dysfunctions of certain components, of neuromuscular function in which their muscles weren't functioning correctly and diaphragm wasn't breathing correctly at rest. And then just overall motor control, which are the kind of pillars of our approach and starting to see patient after patient that we're getting off their CPAP machines, being able to have them have a whole different life. And that sleep apnea area just springboarded me into many other areas of interest. Uh, the research of Mary Mashery into looking at the, at the glottis, 
of the pressure systems, so the pressure of the abdominal pressure, thoracic pressure. Uh, we've added in pharyngeal nasal pressures also to that because they are also an essential part. And the shift in my thinking from what it's been most of the time, which is my core muscles are what are my postural holders. They're what hold up my skeleton to now really recognizing it's the pressure inside of my cavities that creates stability so that those postural muscles now can function. And therefore, my shift has been away from those postural muscles at the initiation of treatment, but shifting more to pelvic floor, diaphragm, and glottis, and tongue, and tongue position. Uh, we are now going back into the rudimentary place where the infant is born, and their primary uh, function occurs through the tongue. And going back uh, developmentally to help many of our sleep apnea patients, many of our neck patients, uh, individuals with TMJ problems, uh, craniofacial problems, uh, breathing problems, and being able to start seeing I've got a whole new arena that's opened up in front of me uh, that's exciting. And so when we go to woman's health, that pelvic floor, uh, I can't see treating the pelvic floor of a someone with woman's health problems without also treating the diaphragm glottis, uh, head and neck position, and how the lower extremities are functioning. So uh, I just continue to shift to seeing the patient as a whole. Now I'm going to just continue on here for one more minute and then let it get back to you, but it's, it's that way that we as human beings like to take something that is a whole and to understand it divided up. There's no other way that we could understand our system without dividing it into little divisions. You know, even in the muscular skeletal system, we have joints, we've got connective tissue, we've got myofascial tissue, we've got muscles, we've got their receptors, we've got so many other areas that are divided out. But when it comes right down to it, they all develop together. They are all interrelated together, and they all need to be considered together. You cannot just manipulate a joint or do dry needling and think that you have truly served that patient if they have impairments in any of those other systems. And so to me, looking at the viscera, looking at the dural tube, looking at how the how the cranium functions are all part of the interrelated treatment to enhance the human potential. I think you touched on something really cool there that we have an opportunity as physical therapists. I mean, if you look at the health profession as a whole, we're seeing specialty after specialty after specialty in the medical profession. And it often becomes out that, let me refer you to my colleague who does this. Oh, let me refer you to my colleague who takes care of this. We have that awesome opportunity to truly look at the full picture. And yes, I know that we have orthopedic specialists and neurological specialists and pediatric specialists, but even in an outpatient orthopedic setting, an outpatient neuro setting, whatever setting you work in, like, you, like Greg just said, you have to look at the whole body, the whole individual, obviously beyond structure and function as well, but take them and say, hey, you know, I have a chance to really spend some good time with this patient and assess the full nature of how they move, how they should be going, and try to organize the vast complexity that is into an actual rational treatment session for the individual. Um, so, and I see Ryan kind of looking towards the mic like he has something provocative to say. <laughs> I never have anything provocative <laughs> to <Nothing> say. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I can say, you know, that what, what, Ryan, what do you do when you're looking at this whole individual? How are you looking at the different systems together? And how do you decide what type of impact you can make for them? 
Well, I mean, <clears throat> it it drives me crazy that we have to look at the like it, it sort of drives me crazy that we have all these different specialties instead of just being focused on the fact that physical therapists are the specialists of the human body and the movement system of the human body. That That is what we do and that is what our job is. And to have somebody be a knee specialist um, is just so foreign to me because they really miss out on the fact that the knee is affected and can affect the rest of the body. And <clears throat> the same goes for you know, neurological specialists. Let's let's go down that path for a second. They can be excellent at so many different ways of how they serve the patient as neurological specialists. And being able to truly understand the differences in every different place of where that injury was to the neurological system and how that injury creates different functional deficits through the system and how I can help train this patient to be as independent as possible and to get them back to as much function in life. But, I mean, I had a patient a few weeks ago come into me. Uh, he had an injury 20 years ago in a bus accident, uh, was a quadriplegic when he went into the hospital, came out with Brown's Accord Syndrome, um, and is coming into me now with searing pain down his left lower extremity that he hasn't had in the past 20 years. One of his questions to me was, uh, how many quadriplegics have you treated? Honestly, the answer is less than five. You know, I've, I've had a number. I've treated a few quadriplegics, but I can't throw out to him, oh, I've treated a ton of quadriplegics in my life. But that's not his problem. His, he's not coming into me for quadriplegia. He's not coming into me for that neurological problem that he had. He's coming into me for a musculoskeletal movement system problem that is causing searing pain going down his left leg that is in his quality of life. This guy used to go backpacking as Brown's Accord Syndrome patient after having a C3-4 injury. This guy would go backpacking, walk 10 miles a day with a cane because he's a determined person who wanted to get through life. He is a functional, like, I want to do this, and he can barely stand up right now because of the pain. It doesn't matter that, you know, it changes my way that I'm going to have to go in to treat him. I can't give him general exercises. This goes back to something we talked about in a previous, ex you know, uh, previous podcast, which is you can't take the person in front of you and say, all right, well, just because I can't give you this exercise that the research shows that you need to do this exercise, well, you can't lift your leg up. So, oh, well, <laughs> I can't help you. Physical therapy is not going to be able to help you. You are out of luck. Go find somebody else. I say, well, we've got to find a way to modify this. I've got to find because I know what I want to accomplish. I know, I know his painful structures and what's causing that, and and I know the limitations in his mobility that is leading to that. And I'm just going to have to find a different way to get to it. He's not totally, you know, he's not totally solved yet. This was a couple weeks ago that I started with this, but it just shows that whoever walks through your door. It's not about trying to say, okay, they're a neurological patient because they have a history of quadriplegia. It's saying they're a patient who probably has a movement dysfunction that I can help and let me be able to look at that as the entire system of the body goes together. Yeah, I think that that's, um, <clears throat> that trust in our neuromusculoskeletal education and eye and intuition um, to be able to help those patients is something that we have to trust and we have to continue to develop um, and, and, and find a way to teach that 
which <clears throat> can be challenging to teach that compl- that level of complexity that really takes in that keen eye, whether that's through your hands or that's actually with your eye, um, to find some of those deficits. But I remember when I came out of school and some of my classmates are sitting in this room right now where I basically said, you know what? There's certain structures I'm never, ever, ever going to treat. Not going to touch the coccyx. I'm never going to talk about pelvic floor. And... Uh, What bets did you place on you not talking about those? Uh, I don't think I placed any bets. (laughs) Because I feel like you lost a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I would probably... Yeah, and that's where I was going to go. After taking functional mobilization 2 through the Institute... And seeing what, seeing the interconnectedness with my hands through that course, I at that time I was personally dealing with a, a whole host of not serious but common me visiting a physician commonly to the point that I actually got to an allergist immunologist who was the guy that actually figured out what was going on with me because he stepped back and he looked at me as a person, not as not as a diagnosis because I had no diagnosis. And so I actually started talking to him. He runs, you know, an allergy clinic and he sees a lot of patients with allergies. And so I started talking to him about common things that his patients complain of subjectively. And the most common thing was they get short of breath when they exercise because the majority of his clients are kiddos, asthma, allergies, all those things. So I actually proposed to him that he start sending patients to me and I would start to dabble in some of the diaphragmatic, rib clearing techniques that you learn in FM2. And where did that lead me? Well, that leaded me that I started, probably needed to assess the coccyx. And then I needed to assess the cranial vault. And then I needed to assess the sphenoid bone. And then I probably needed to assess hard palate. And then now I've dabbled in a couple other things. And while I've not yet done anything internal on a patient, I have very qualified people who are way better and way more comfortable at that than I. Um, I can honestly say now that I probably treat the coccyx and the pelvic floor and the cranium more times than not on people, which is a pretty cool testament to what Greg has built over the last 40 years with the Institute in showing the power that you can treat people that walk into your door even if sometimes you don't have a clue like Bob, like, oh God, where, where am I gonna start with Bob? Um, so that's kind of my little bit of a personal reflection on, on things that, that you guys have already kind of talked about that can maybe help some of our listeners be like, you know what, no way, I'm not gonna treat that stuff. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna help this guy that comes in with Brown's guard syndrome because I've never seen it before. Or I'm not gonna help that person that, that potentially has a, a vocal cord issue or chronic headaches or whatever because they don't feel comfortable with it. One of the first things that you said was it's tough to teach that. But that's why physical therapy should be a lifelong profession of learning. You, You can't teach, you can't come out of school being able to be the best clinician out there in the country. It's just not gonna happen. Sorry to break all the hopes and dreams of everybody who's like, I'm graduating with my doctorate and I know everything. You know, I just can't. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, and, but it's the beauty of our profession. 
It's the beauty of our skill set is that you will always have something to learn. You will never be able to stop getting better at what you do. And hopefully the listeners Unless of this, you don't want to. Well, yeah, I mean, unless you <laughs> I mean, I can't change what people want to do. Right. You do you. If you don't want to get better, if you want to just go through your nine to five and just, you know, give a few exercises, I mean, whatever is your, you know, your boat that you like to float in. If you want to do that, you do you. But for those who are challenged and want to be the best, want to challenge themselves, for those, if they're driven to be able to treat every patient out there, they're going to get better every year. And one of my good friends said something, and it was great encouragement. I, I wish I could look it up on my phone right now, but I'll paraphrase it. Um, but he said, here's, here's the wisdom that I tell the new grads. You'll never be better this year than you are next year. You're always going to want to go back and treat your patients that you treated last year, this year. But just give them the best that you have. And know that you're going to give them all the, you know, and, and, and that was my friend Ifosa Gubadia. And uh, I mean, it's just a, a perfect wisdom is you're never going to be perfect. And it is hard to teach it. But experience, experience is the thing that you can't teach. You can't teach experience. You have to live it. And the more you live experience, the more you're going to be comfortable sitting into a room and taking on a hard patient and taking on somebody that you're like, uh, you know, if I just graduated school, I would not know what to do. But that's the other beauty of residency and fellowship and having mentorship and having a, a collaborative working environment where you have people that you can bounce ideas off of is because getting yourself into one of those situations is a place where you know that you can foster growth instead of feeling like you're in over your head. Sorry, I rambled. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, it really truly is... Uh very special to be able to share this podcast with you, and I'm totally enjoying this. Uh, I have to go back to that graduate time when I walked out of school and everything was compartmentalized and everything was diagnosed, and, and I treated diagnoses. I didn't treat people. And then I ran into Maggie Knott, and I was blessed to spend uh, seven years with her, and she was a woman who looked at people as a whole. She believed that if you worked the foot right, you could get the neck better. If you if you got the neck functioning better, you could have the, the core muscles working better. She was absolutely brilliant in looking at the system as a whole and never believing that there was something short of that. I expanded on that through some great physical therapists who trained me in manual therapy and osteopaths and and Rolfers and Feldenkrais practitioners and many alternative health care. And it shifted a paradigm that I just recommend most of our young and, and even those who've been around for a while be willing to shift, is to start looking at your patients from the point of view of what is the potential of that system. What is the existing potential that is untapped? That's what Henry Cabot would talk about all the time, who is one of the developers of PNF, is that what do we look at in them? And for me, it's all shifted. Within that structure, they may have pathology. They may have dysfunctions. They may have motor control problems. But overall, they have potential. And it's my job to see how can I take that system and enhance its function to get that person to have an optimal level 
for within their capacity to be able to have better quality of life. It just shifts your paradigm when you stop treating pathology. I treat pathology, but I do it within the paradigm of existing potential and optimal function. And that's what I like to teach. And that's what keeps me excited about being part of this profession. And uh, it's that opportunity to take somebody that's a quadriplegic and and determine what their problems are and try to reach their optimal potential. How to work with the geriatric patient to enhance their function, whether it's their breathing that they may not be complaining about, but may be foundational for the reason they've got their back pain. Or whether it's an athlete who's trying to get faster in the marathon and run faster, or a baseball player to pitch faster. Each one of those are the kind of problem-solving opportunities that we as physical therapists have and should develop the tools to be able to address those needs of the of everyone in our society. So I really like what you're saying with optimizing the system. And uh, to go back to what Ryan said previously, we're, we're movement specialists. We, we're looking at how the entire body moves together and how the systems can, can function. But I'm sure there's some listeners out there wondering how certain things correlate. You know, Dan did a nice little laundry list of things, some things he'd look at that he swore in PT school he would never, ever touch. But I just kind of want to ask just what, what's the science behind or how do you explain, let's just say, painful menstruation? What's the, where's the movement dysfunction that exists within that? And what are you looking to treat there? Of course you'd take a painful menstruation as the one to give me. <laughs> we, got, we got four dudes sitting here. <laughs> and, and of he course. That's so this issue. Well, the truth is, is that I have probably addressed that issue in probably over 500 patients in my career. And I would say that a good 80% of them through the treatment that we provided had substantial reduction in their monthly pain. Uh, part of it was treating the organs directly. And to me, I had no idea that the uterus could become very restricted, that it doesn't have normal movements under the interfaces, that the connective tissue uh, is being affected there, that the the relationship of it to the sacrum or to the bladder or to the under surrounding structures may cause that at the time of engorgement in the beginning of that period increased symptoms uh, didn't realize that the position of the sacrum might have something to do with it didn't understand that a lot of times when you take a lower extremity to the end range that it may put tension on that uterus and that sometimes we find that fascial tension lines that need to be addressed so there are lots of areas, if we're willing to explore, with the idea of what the optimal state for that uterus should be, or those surrounding structures, then we have something that we can treat because we're treating for that optimal state, not for something less. And it's, it's not just, as, as you're talking about, you're talking about treating the uterus directly and treating the sacrum directly. It, it, it's not just about, okay, this person's coming in and I'm gonna take a risk. You've got a painful period. I've never treated a painful, like I've never had somebody with dysmenorrhea. And I'm going to try because I've heard that you can treat it. 
That's a great step. I, I agree with that. I think people should take that step because they should listen, say, you know what? I've heard other people have success with this. Let me see what I can do. But there's also the step of what you've gone through, Greg, in your experience, which is listening to patients when you're treating them for low back pain. And then they come to you and say, you know what? I've noticed that my period has not been as painful for the last three months. Or you treat them for pelvic pain and they come and say, you know what? My neck's feeling a heck of a lot better. That, that listening and trusting and being open to the changes that your patients are having will start teaching you about the interconnectedness of the system and the far-reaching effects that you can have by treating that uterus or treating that sacrum that you can all of a sudden start changing the rest of the system and being open to the fact that that patient may not be crazy but there's actually something physiological going on that you've tapped into possibly accidentally, but it's okay. <laughs> and make a change in that patient that's in front of you. Um, and then at some point I want to take it back to Bob because we've, we talked about Bob, but do you have anything else to say on that at the, about what I just said? Well, I really would because uh, Ryan and I right now are going through a cadaver lab class where we have five days of basically dissecting out a fresh cadaver. Uh, and I am just absolutely learning about connections that I hadn't really understood. Uh, I've always treated that way since I first uh, studied with Rolfing and had an idea about the fascial tissues of how uh, the extracellular matrix is pervasive throughout every part of the body. If you took all the other structures out of it, the body would still have its shape because everything is surrounded. Nothing touches each other in the human system. But we're starting to see how every individual muscle is connected to the next muscle. We look at them as being divided up. And yet today we looked at this whole line of, of muscles that are connected through fascial tissues that go from the rhomboids to the serratus and into, into the rest of the scapular muscles. And you can actually, by pulling on one, see a relationship to them all, which means we can't just treat the one that's symptomatic, but we've got to treat that chain to enhance its function. And so this course has been instrumental for me to now see it in a fresh cadaver, which is far more mobile and and more like the real state than those that we treated in school with formaldehyde. Yeah, I think that, you know, kind of like what Ryan said, it's, it's probably one of the biggest at this point, one of the biggest nuggets I want to go back and highlight for our listeners about you have to be attuned to what your patient tells you and or start to ask challenging questions that you in the beginning may not feel comfortable asking, especially if you're a male <laughs> and asking some of those questions to females about their period and if they have pain and is there pain with intercourse and all those things because you will make a difference on those people by indirectly treating something else in their body. Like you said, in their neck, in their cranium, in their foot, in their low back. That I think the low back, most of our, probably our listeners be like, well, duh, that makes sense, right? Just because the anatomical connections. But I think that those are things that I would strongly encourage people to, to start asking. And I can honestly say that if I wouldn't ask those questions... I wouldn't be able to get them to somebody who has more skill and or training to treat some of those things directly. 
um, if I didn't have what you said, kind of that reflection on people coming and be like, wow, you're treating my back. And the last two months, my period has been a lot less painful. Huh. I wonder what that link is. Well, now that I have people that have taken a lot of pelvic health courses and and are very well skilled and well versed at that, I can now pick their brains to ask better questions to my patients and learn from them and say, oh, here's some things you can do externally. And if that doesn't work, then get them to us and we'll do, you know, we'll evaluate them internally and and things like that. So um, for you, for you guys in in listener land, I I would strongly encourage you to, again, like we talked about previously, is kind of get, get comfortable stepping outside your comfort zone. Even if you just start asking the questions, because if you don't ask the questions, you're going to be in a world of hurt. I, I think, <clears throat> I think stepping outside your comfort zone is the first thing you need to do with Bob. Mm-hmm. I mean, your whole scenario that you laid out at the beginning, that dude did not look excited to go to physical therapy. He doesn't look trusting. You've got to step outside your comfort zone and meet him where he's at. You, that, if I had to give any recommendation to a new physical therapist, it's sit there, believe in yourself that you've got something that you can offer this person and sit there and search for what it is. Go through a subjective with them. Try to develop rapport with them. Try to understand their symptoms and the history of it and the emotional component of it and, and everything that they've been through and then try to make one change. And it doesn't have to be the change that's going to fix all their symptoms. It's something that gets you on the right path to getting trust in that patient. And it's, it's an, if you can just get one little thing and that patient can be like, you know what? This is different than anything I've ever had. This is, this is something leading towards it. Trust yourself. Go out on a limb. And it's better to take a risk and not succeed than to just not take a risk at all. Uh, the risk has got to be, you know what, I might not do this, but don't tell them that. Don't be like, you know what, I'm probably not going to help you, but let's see what I can do. Be like, you know what, your case sounds very interesting. And there's a lot of things here that I think we can work on. So let's sit down and I think this is the most important thing that we can start with. And let me explain anatomically why. And the only thing that's going to get you better at that, experience Experience, continuing education, continuing education, mentorship, 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 mentorship. I, I, I'm just serious. There, there, you just to, If you want to be comfortable in those situations, it's not going to happen day one. It's going to take experience. And the first experience you're going to get is taking that person back into your treatment room and trying to do everything you can to help Bob. I think you hit it out of the park. I mean, Bob might be that individual that came to you because a friend just said, hey, you got to check out Ryan Johnson, man. He's got this covered. Bob might be that guy that just doesn't know anything about physical therapy. Bob might be that guy who had a healthcare practitioner, an MD referral that recognized a challenging symptom pattern that's like, you know what? I've talked to Greg and Ryan, and I, I think they might have some thoughts upon this. He could be any one of those individuals, but the step is exactly what you said. Get him in the door and listen and take a chance with that individual to be able to say, all right, let's look at the whole picture. Let's look at the whole story. What can I make an impact on? And then take a risk at it. And you might be pretty darn impressed with what you can do with good old Bob.